0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by 7Element, and I'm your host, Kyle. Joining me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. And boys, today, second day of December, it actually feels like winter. Yeah, know it's freezing. Absolutely freezing outside. It's good
1: hockey weather, though.
2: Yeah. In fact, today I had to trade in the old trusty ball cap that I like to wear for a, a toboggan there or a is. or a toque, as you Canadians say, because it's, it's quite cold out there and that's how you keep yourself from getting sick right there. You got to trade in for the toboggan.
0: Now I'm curious, you have a lucky hat. Is that your lucky toboggan? Um, no, you I can't have a couple of toboggans.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can't wear it backwards. It kind
0: of stinks. So. But if it had a label on it, then you could wear it backwards.
2: Yeah, but... Uh, he also yeah. has a
0: toboggan with a brim on it. Yeah, I so wear that sometimes. So he can wear that backwards. And you have the little poof on the end of it too. That's right, the little uh, little, little poofy ball. I don't know little what you call pom-pom. it. <laughs> See, when I've had a toboggan or a beanie, whatever you want to call it, um, I have never could wear the poof on it. It had to be just a solid top to it. The only one that I
1: have is a Preds one, and I quite enjoy that one because it kind of you know gives you that hockey feel. But, yeah, outside that, my other toboggans are 100% normal. But it is absolutely freezing here. And, of course, I went from Mexico to this <laughs> coming sorry. back. So I'm just like – I'm frozen all the time here, so –
0: well, it was like when we went down to uh, Orlando a couple weeks ago, it was, you know, we start here in the car, we've got the heat on, and by the time we get down to Orlando, we've got the AC on. Just a 30 degree difference change.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty miserable in Florida almost all year. I mean, it was actually okay, right? Like 80 degree temperature for yeah, me? It was, yeah, it was so a good temperature. It's not bad. Yeah, Mexico was absolutely gorgeous. It was like 75, 76, 78. The lows were always right at 50 degrees. And then I got off the plane and it was automatically like 40 degrees and I'm like, "Woo!" It was quite brisk. The, quite the shock there but uh, it's good to be back. Had a good Thanksgiving too. So,
0: That being said, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Like the one thing when you have Thanksgiving you've got to have that dish.
1: That's, that's difficult for me. I, I love our deep fried turkey just because it's a staple here. It is absolutely the best thing ever we marinate it, fry it in the peanut oil um it, it, it's really difficult the cranberry sauce this year was on point like i i like my aunt's cranberry sauce it's homemade you're you're cringing but blake also uh, a friend of ours super picky eater everything freaked out i've never seen him freak out over food this much it was absolutely unreal um but i gotta go with the mac and cheese man it's 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 always there
0: and it's always so comforting That is a classic. I will go with mac and cheese. That is the one dish. And, you know, best mac and cheese ever. I don't care who makes it. As long as it's got the cracker crust on top of it, done. Sold.
2: Mine has to be whatever it is that I made because I'm a bit of a germ freak, so I don't trust other people. You go to the family get-togethers, and you don't know quite about the uh, hygiene level of that weird uncle you have and what dish it was he made or what all he's touched. So I tend to stick to eating only what it is that uh, somebody, either me or my wife, made for Thanksgiving. That's me.
0: So you didn't try any of uh, Chelsea's all Puffs the other day?
2: Yeah, I missed out on that one, but uh, it's Okay.
0: Well, you know who's not having a good time right now over the Thanksgiving holiday? Who's that? NHL coaches, namely Mike Babcock and Bill Peters. That's right. There's been – it's
2: probably the biggest hockey news in the last week as there's been some uh, coaching coaching staff turnover as uh, Mike Babcock gets canned and then uh, shortly thereafter Bill Peters gets canned a couple days afterwards as well. Uh, So I guess we'll probably go into that uh, here for a minute, guys. Um, It really was kind of interesting, the Babcock situation. It was kind of a string of events, really. It was like the dominoes kept falling. If you look at uh, Toronto, they're on like, I don't remember exactly, five-game losing skid, maybe six-game losing skid. And then flurry they're playing – they're playing Flurry. He makes a huge save. <laughs> and
1: That's the domino effect. That's baby. the domino.
2: So Flurry <laughs> makes a huge save that makes Toronto lose. It was like the sixth game in a row or whatever, and Flurry's big save cost Toronto to lose, and that's what cost Mike Babcock to get fired. So then, Mitch Marner comes out and kind of says, "Well, now that coach is gone, I can kind of speak a little more freely," and he kind of comes out. And talking about Babcock's antics, and he mentions how when he was a rookie, Babcock made him make a list of the hardest working players on the team, 1 through 20, and had him release it uh, to the team. And uh, he ranked himself last at 20, but uh, pretty interesting. It didn't go over so well. So he's coming out, talking about it. Elliot Friedman actually reached out to Mike Babcock about the situation once that story broke, and he said that, you know, I was trying to focus on work ethic with Mitch, uh, focusing on role models, and it ended up not being a good idea, and he said he apologized at the time. And that situation led to kind of some more dominoes falling. And then, once Mitch Marner spoke out about that situation, another former NHLer, Akeem Alou... Uh, begin to speak out against Calgary's coach Bill Peters and uh, tells TSN and Frank Cerevalli about a situation uh, where Bill Peters repeatedly uh, hurled racial slurs at Akeem Alou in front of him and uh, what he believed, a particular incident of this happening that he says ruined his career before it started. And so that situation came out, and shortly thereafter, uh, Bill Peters was fired. Now, Akeem Alou is a former NHLer, so this situation happened about 10 years ago, I think it was, but once the story hit, uh, Bill Peters uh, got the hook pretty quick.
1: Yeah, it's honestly been a whirlwind here in the past couple of weeks here for these these coaches, and the crazy part is, if you're looking at these two teams, obviously, The Maple Leafs were struggling. A little bit of a skid. Uh, You have kind of actually noticed that here recently. There's a lot of really good teams that are going through really bad slumps. The Preds being one of them. I mean, goodness, the Lightning. The Sharks started off bad this year. So it's very interesting, the flip in the the league this year. And I think some of these teams are going to recover. But honestly, you can just tell that the league is changing just a little bit to where some of these things, you know, they do matter. And obviously – it was a big domino effect that affected two coaching positions and the Calgary position. Well, that's that's a little crazy because they're in the Western Conference final last year.
0: And what's even crazier is that Bill Peters situation has reached out and touched multiple teams outside of Calgary. I mean this whole situation with Alou happened when he was the AHL coach of Rock of Rockford, which is the Chicago Blackhawks team. And then he's also over here with uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. And he had situations happen with a uh, Mikhail Jordan and a couple of people over there. And now it's also reached out to touch Ron Francis over in Seattle. So this one incident has just spread its tentacles out and just really just wrapped itself around the NHL as a whole, making people reevaluate the league and its response to things like this.
2: And this is coming off the hills as well. We, we tried to stay away from the topic. It was such a hot button issue a couple of weeks ago of – uh, Don Cherry getting canned as well for saying some uh, insensitive words on the coach's corner and he's kind of a bit of a celebrity in Canada. He's kind of synonymous with uh, hockey in Canada and it was big news uh, when that story went down and he got fired and, and got let go. So this seems to be a couple of situations that have happened back to back in the league and that's kind of unfortunate to have to discuss these issues but uh, it is the kind of situations we are facing in hockey currently. So
0: You know I was listening to the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast on the way home today actually from work, just kind of de stress a little bit. And Friedman was talking about how it's possible now that because of the situation that's happened with uh, Babcock and Peters, that you could see a couple of changes happen in the NHL as a whole. One being that they may work something out with the Players Association, have a central spot where players can lodge complaints like this because you know they're seeing the consequences that have happened now because of this and they may feel emboldened, so they give them a place to air those grievances. And another thing he said you might see change is that at the end of the season, they may have ex interviews with the players. So they ask them specifically about the coaches. So it's a topic that can go a lot of directions, and we have no idea where it's going to end up. Who knows? From now, a month from now, we could be talking about something else. Even a week from now, after this podcast comes out, something else could happen. You never know in this day and age with the league now.
1: Yeah, I'm a little surprised that the league actually doesn't have like a built-in like complaint line, or you know, you know, like. For me, if I'm thinking corporate-minded, you know, like I I work in a big corporate environment, they have all those like hotlines and like the anonymous thing where you can submit something anyways. Uh, I I don't know. It's just surprising that this hasn't happened more frequently or there isn't something in place already for players. So who knows? I'm sure the league will look with the Players Association, and I'm sure something should be put in place soon.
0: Well, it's interesting that you said that because the Players Association actually said they wanted – The players start coming to them directly for these types of things. But as people who do work in corporate jobs, everyone's tainted by the idea of, well, if I go talk to my boss or go talk to HR, it's just going to get literally swept under the rug. So now you see the impact that's happened because they're going directly to social media to tell their stories without being filtered. And swinging back around to Mike Babcock, yes, he was a good coach. But again, with everything that's happening, it'll be interesting to see going down the road, even possibly next year, with whatever coach ends up replacing um, Bill Peters, for example, because there's an interim head coach, I believe it's Jeff Warder now, it'll be interesting to see the style going forward. Will it go away from that really just hardcore style, get it done, do whatever, to more of a approach that listens to the players.
2: But you know, since then, it's pretty interesting. Since Babcock got let go, they've won three in a row after firing him. They now have won four out of five leading up to today. So they were on a six-game skid, and now they've won four out of five. Honestly, maybe it was a change the team needed. Something about him uh, is just different. They say, as a coach, he really harbors his defensemen. They don't, he doesn't like him to play a two-way game. He likes him to stay at home. So I know they got Tyson Berry in in the offseason from Colorado. And uh, he's averaged like 40 points a year, I think it was. But he's been held without a goal since joining the Leafs this year because Babcock's system, he likes his defenseman to play defense, which is fine. But the next game after Babcock is gone, he plays his style, and Tyson Berry gets a goal, the first goal of the year. Then the next game gets another goal, and then the next game gets another goal. So that's three games he scores a goal in three games right after Babcock being fired. So it's pretty interesting that maybe he was kind of the linchpin. I don't know, something about his system just wasn't quite fitting. And I don't think anybody doubts that he's a great coach. But, you you know, you see coaches get shipped off all the time. It's something about a management style or maybe just a system style that doesn't mesh with the players or mesh with the system. And maybe you're seeing Toronto come out of their slump now that he's gone. And don't forget, this time last year, St. Louis fired Mike Yo it was on november 19th i was just about to say that and it's november 20th the day after when mike babcock gets fired and last year once they let go of mike yo they were in last place in the league and they went on to rally to win the stanley cup
1: yeah craig took over and he won 0.651 percent of their games the rest of the year isn't that crazy and it was the first first person to bring back a stanley cup in the st louis blues history
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about that because a lot of people have been asking when is it going to be lobby's turn to be let go? Because, you know, we just got out of that slump ourselves. And during that time, people asked him, was he feeling the pressure? And at no point that he said he felt any pressure.
1: I mean, as a head coach, you're obviously going to feel pressure when your team's losing that many games straight. We were in a bad streak there. So after that skid, you're you're looking at a nice rebound because they, they come back and they obviously regroup against the Blues. Home and home, they win both. Against the Central Division, current standing champ, former Stanley Cup champion. So that's obviously a great rebound. That's huge swings that you're going to need at the end of the year. The Vegas game, kind of unfortunate. Whatever. That game. They, they should have won that game. Yeah. But we get a point out of it. The next game, they beat Carolina. again. Uh, like, we are terrible against Carolina. Peter Mrazek somehow beats us every single time. But we and broke we finally, that curse. We finally broke the curse. So, like, it This year, I've noticed there's a lot of good teams that are going streaking. Like as far as they'll get really hot, they'll get super cold. Really hot, super cold, and I I don't like that. I like consistency throughout the year. You know, like maybe lose a couple here every now and then, but you got to be consistent in this league. And uh, it's going to be very interesting moving forward. So, uh, we'll we'll see.
2: I think you can pretty much count out. uh, I'd said they were going to win the. Central division banner again. I think you can count that out now
0: because of how it's been so far. Well, it's it's interesting because if you look at it, they've only played 26 games and they got 28 points. They're fifth in the division right now as of today, Monday night. They are 11th in the conference and they are 21st in the league overall. And they got a record of 12, 10, and 4. That's not the team we're used to seeing, but that's the team that we have seen because, as I've said before, and as we've asked questions of people, that have come on the show this team seems to not to be able to find an identity for themselves
1: yeah the, the arvidsson injury has really hurt us i i mean you you can say that it's not affecting us but let's be honest that throws off either the Joe line or your you know one two combo punch uh, arvidsson is a hustler he eats up that zone time he gets in there for the pucks he holds that zone I, it, it's very crazy seeing the stats difference with him in and out of the lineup, but he does make a big difference. That said, power play hasn't been as hot as lately, <laughs> though 16 is scorching compared to last year. Um, you know, so whatever, we'll take it. The penalty kill has been something that's been really bad this year, which is shocking to me. Like, uh, we just went from, you know, complete polar opposites i feel like the, i mean we're 20 where, where are we at? in the 27th in the league 75 percent on the penalty kill so that is something that has been plaguing us this uh, this year so far um now i will say this i know like everyone's upset with their performance so far and i'm sure like if you just take a step back yes this team is underperforming greatly i mean let's all agree on that right now
0: yeah on paper this is a team that you're like you
1: should be he just tearing people up left and right yeah i mean matt even put them as number one in the central division don't think that's happening this year you 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 dug yourself a big hole now it's going to be hard to get back up there i mean the blues last year remember they, they came storming back but they only got in third <laughs> i mean the key is making the playoffs people let's, let's just be honest I, I would rather make the playoffs and get hot at the right time and get a stanley cup than hang a central division title banner I mean, let's just be honest. But at the same time, I really think that if they don't start putting it together here in this next month, that the Central Division title is definitely out of reach. Um, But it it is interesting because we've been really down on the Preds. But let's take a look around the league for just a second at some teams that you think are probably pretty good. So Toronto, for instance, they've actually played two more games than us, 30 points. We're only two points behind San Jose Sharks. We're only three points behind two games more at hand that they have played. So it, it, it's almost crazy. You ready for this one? This one is mind boggling to me as well. The Vegas Golden Knights have played 28 games and they only have 30 points. So all the Preds have to do is win one game in the next two. And they've already beat the Vegas Golden Knights record through 27 games or 28 games. It's really interesting to me that certain teams this year are struggling really bad. The Habs have lost, what, six or seven in a row now? Eight. Eight now. Yeah, it was eight. So that's the, the new update. Eight in a row, 27 games played. So they've played one more than the Preds and have the same amount of points. They were actually scorching hot earlier in the year. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the only thing about them is they've only played 24 games. But they only have 27 points right now. Would you have believed me that the Tampa Bay Lightning would be sitting at 24th place in the league overall right now?
0: No, I wouldn't because of how good they were last year.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean that this is the team that almost broke the regular season record <laughs> and they're 24th in the league right now. So I did want to put that in perspective for everyone. Yes, it is frustrating. Yes, we know the Preds are underperforming, but there are a lot of good teams right now that are totally underperforming, and it's it's a little shocking to me.
2: So that's a great time to bring up, I guess, the big elephant in the room, and that is the Preds have managed to address such gems as Daniel Carr and Matthew Olivier and Rocco Grimaldi in the wake of Arvison's injury, but yet we've seen tourists get scratched for six games in a row.
0: And that is interesting because seven, I think, now. yes, yeah, seven games. Seven games, and this guy's worth $6 million, and it seems to be that both the coach and David Foyle is content to let this man – sit at home, or sit at the press box and make his money. Now, today, on their line rushes, Adam Finnegan reported that Taurus was on the second line. Okay. (laughs) So we'll see. Do you trust this? Go from the bench to the second line. Got it. In seven games, it's like, what did you do so bad? Well, he better be well-rested. That's all I got to say. But it's interesting. (laughs) You said we brought Matthew Olivier and Daniel Carr. Like, to me, Matthew Olivier is basically another Austin Watson from the very first game all i heard about was this guy was on the ice looking for fight looking for fights with people you're like okay whatever and so far he has got a total of 53 minutes of ice time in seven games (laughs) one and one point and then right and then daniel carr who you were like okay Arviston gets hurt this is perfect time to put your six million dollar forward back in the lineup and they go nope we call up daniel carr who is interesting because he is tearing it up in Milwaukee. Like, he is just, he's like, you're like, look at this guy, and you're going, this guy should not be in the AHL. And then he gets up the NHL, and he's non-existent. He's only had a shootout goal, which was the over, which was the winner against St. Louis last Monday night. That's it. Watching the game on Saturday against Florida, I forgot he was even in the game.
1: It's kind of sad because he he gets such high production in the AHL, and I know Matt's looking up the points number for him right now. But I honestly think it has to be something mental because if he, if he's absolutely killing it like he is, I mean he's only okay. He's only played sixteen games and he's got twenty one points. <laughs> I mean, ten goals. That that's really good over a point per game average here, and. For some reason, when he comes up to the NHL, just withers up. And I don't get it right now. That's why I'm thinking maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's the big stage. Maybe everything's just a little faster. And that step from the AHL to the NHL, that half second that you get extra, is enough to throw him off. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the line mates. But you can argue, well, he got thrown on the second line several times too. <laughs> with, so he's got good with line mates. So, so you can't say that he's not playing with – bottom tier talent like borderline Preds Milwaukee talent I mean he's playing with people that are going to be on our roster every single night so I don't know I'm just a little confused at his production right now getting called up what's even more perplexing to me is the fact that Turris is sitting you have a guy who's invested essentially six million dollars a year the six million dollar man who honestly at the beginning of the year showed signs of life like rebound and then for whatever reason we've been slowly changing up the lines and the next thing you know we have a bad losing streak and he's out of the lineup
2: i'm not so worried about daniel carr as much as i am the bigger issue that's small fries compared to six million dollars sitting on the bench because daniel carr is not as good as kyle turris is and we've the the catchphrase is it's a roster decision oh it's a roster decision it's a
1: roster decision
2: and it's what we keep getting told over and over, but you know, you've know, got a losing streak. Now's the time to try to mix it up and try to find something that works for your guy. We're all thinking, well, is he, is he thinking about getting shipped off somewhere? Are we trying to say, we're working on a deal? But Boyle said nothing of the sort. In fact, I got a quote from uh, David Boyle on Kyle Turris. He said, I can absolutely look you in the eye and tell you that there's nothing to this other than the roster decision of what we think and specifically what our coaching staff feels is the best lineup for every
0: game. Right. But as the GM, that $6 million, you feel like you're wasting because it's not giving you any life. It's not giving you any production. It's just sitting there.
2: Exactly. And that's my point. I, I don't really care about Daniel Carr. I care about putting my $6 million man on a roster or shipping him off to get me some kind of return on investment.
1: Kyle Turris was second line Power play or the second power play unit as well, and he looked really good on that second power play unit. So I really don't understand the decision to remove him from that unit as well. So removing him from the game, you have lessened your power play on your second unit, and on top of it, I mean, you can't tell me he's, he's not better than Daniel Carr
2: yeah. or... Which is why everybody's kind of or skeptical. Or I,
1: I, like it doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Everybody's skeptical of Laviolette when he says it's just a lineup decision, but you know it's happening four, five, six, seven games in a row, and you're thinking, man, that, that cannot be true. Man, you can't, you can't. It's almost put personal at him... that point. It, exactly. You know, I think Kyle, uh, Kyle Turris has been on record saying stuff about. It. I think his wife was even on a podcast talking about it a little bit. It seems a little bit personal. I, and, I, and honestly, if I'm if I'm being honest, I don't think it's strictly a lineup decision. Let's let's be real. I mean, that that's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's funny. So the podcast that uh, his wife is on is called uh, Ida, Ida and Julie. And it's uh, Matthias Eckholm's wife with Julie Turris. And the last episode was all about her experience with Kyle Turris being scratch, And she was like, there's no attitude problem. There's nothing wrong with Aria. And she's like, he wants to play. And she's like, we don't know. I mean, that's what it really came down to. She was like, we don't know why we're not, we're not playing. And she's like, we want to play. Yeah, and Turris has that
1: attitude as well that he's very stoic. He's not going to say much. He's just going to get in there, put in his reps, and if he's playing, he's playing. Obviously, it is affecting him. I mean, you can't say that. The guy guy eats, lives, and breathes hockey, you know? I I mean, he's from Canada. Like, it's one of those things that you can't say he's not wanting to be in the lineup because he wants to be there. They've made it very evident that they love it in Nashville. He wanted to be here. That's why he signed signed a long-term contract to $6 million. So, at this point, it's kind of like I, I feel like you're better with Taurus in the lineup. You need to put him in the lineup, even if he isn't producing, to get his mojo back, whatever it is. Put him on the second line. I mean, like we said, we we saw the line rushes today. He was centering the second line where he should be. He should be a center. Let's be. And that was the whole debate at the beginning of the year. Well, do we put Kyle as a winger? And then he's not comfortable as being a winger. And then it's this awkward situation. Well, you don't want Duchesne as a winger because he's obviously a better center than him. But at the same time, I'm like, put Kyle Turris in and let him do some work. Just let him get his reps. He will come back. He is a good player. Look at his track record.
2: Well, it's interesting. You look at coaching antics we were talking about earlier and how everybody, Babcock included, has got their own antics. You look at how the situation is in Dallas. Sometimes they call out Sagan and Jamie Benn and tell them they need to be better and put them on a bad line or whatever, call them out publicly, and then they come out and win like five or six games and have, I forget the stats, like 13 points and... Uh, for, anyway, they're being, they've been on fire since Coach called him out. That's a coaching antic, and it could be perhaps a tactic calling out Kyle Turris a little bit, saying, "Hey, you need to be a little bit better." So you
1: remember the last time we started scratching people? Kevin Fiala, where's he right now? He's in the wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's gone, and I don't remember us scratching him for six or seven games straight. By the way, he got maybe like one or two games, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, no, he got he got a slap on the hand for a game or two and his antics, or proposed lack of effort too were way what you can't tell me Turse is like not better than kevin fiala as far as like turning over the puck being responsible with things
0: like i i, I just don't get it Turse is also really good in the shootout well it's funny that you mention kevin fiala so let's talk about the man he was traded for mikhail Granlund. so he's played 42 games with the pred so far and he's only had 16 points. It's five goals, 11 assists. That's 42 games since he was traded. And what's interesting is the last two and a half seasons with the Wild, he averaged 61 points a season in 221 games before being traded. And since November 12th at Vancouver, he's had seven points, which is two goals and five assists. What's really funny is, is like the whole month of October, you really didn't see much of him. And these last seven games, You saw him just like starting to kind of find his groove. And it's interesting that you're thinking, man, this guy should have been lighting the score sheet up earlier because natural stat trick, if you look at him on his 5v5 and his shots, he's fourth with 50 and he had a shooting percentage of 8%. He's
1: looked really good the last several games. Like, shockingly good. Like, the the game I'm I'm like, my goodness, just give him a goal because he was everywhere he was and you're he like was, this man cannot make nothing drop absolutely everywhere which is what you want to see uh, obviously the if he keeps that up it's going to average out it'll it'll go up he'll start getting some more goals and the production is going up the last several games but you can tell he is feistier on the
0: ice the last like four to five games but here's a really interesting thing so um, one thing they talk about uh, coach is always really happy about the number of shots we put on net because you know they always say get pucks to the net things will happen But the question I have is, how many of those shots are actually good shots? Yeah, you put 50 shots on net, but how many of those shots are actually good shots? How many of it's just you just throw in the puck at the net and maybe try and get a pinball ricochet rebound into the net?
1: Well, well, let's take the last game against the Panthers that we lost. Forsberg had, I don't even know how many shot attempts he had. He was all over the ice that game, but most of them weren't high danger a lot of them were, were were just trying to get the puck to the net but he didn't have traffic he didn't have which i will credit them the last several games that we got on our you know got our groove back the blues game some of yeah you know, we started getting traffic to the net we started pressuring and i i feel like we've kind of lost that during our our losing streak so i'm looking for them to start that again and and start putting that pressure on around the net front but like you said if you don't have that traffic it's not a high danger shot I'm sorry like you're you're basically shooting into a brick wall who can see you you know
0: yeah was it I always tell you Matt that nothing has a good shot on a goalie like shooting in the chest
2: that's right right in the
1: right in the
0: emblem
2: and you know speaking of goalies that's another bone we can pick here I'm looking at the stats and uh, your boy Pecorine has got a 898 save percentage and Soros isn't faring too much better with an 891 save percentage
0: to be fair, Saros never has a really good October, and it seems to be November is kind of where he starts to pick up. I.e., he basically came in for three games and got three wins, which was awesome.
2: But he had to do that because Rene was pulled in three of his four starts.
1: Except Rene has the most shutouts in the league,
2: and has also been pulled the most. Probably, it's it's so weird. What, it's so like what it's, is it? It's streaky. He's either he's got the most shutouts in the league, or he's got the is most of the team too. playing
1: in front of him. Some of it is goaltending.
2: You can't blame yeah, some the team of, for some everything. Of,
1: some of it is goaltending. I'll get. There was one game in particular that was absolutely terrible. But I'm just saying, during that terrible losing streak where we got trounced about two times, do you think all those were his fault? I, I, I don't know. It's just weird because he comes back and then he also gets a shutout but, and yeah, then also at the back. same time he's posting a .9, which is about league average right now. Like he he's not putting up terrible numbers.
2: I feel like coming back and getting the shutout was a good statement because it was against Carolina, a team you guys generally lose to, and that's after Peck had been pulled a lot, come out and get a shutout. That's a pretty big statement right there. And I think for a guy who's kind of aging like that, some people are speculating, well, is Rene's absence, so to speak, is this, are you starting to see the transition of it becoming UC Soros' crease? And I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I think Rene coming back with that shutout is, is making the statement, hey, I'm here to stay, and, and that's just incredible.
0: One thing I always said was that, yes, we always know Saros is the heir apparent. Everyone knows unless something just like awful happens, that net is going to be Saros's for the foreseeable seven, eight years future down the road. But I would always wanted to see Rene and Saros do more of a tandem. I know we said coming into the season they might do a 70-30 tandem, and I want to see more of like a 60-40 tandem. And I really yeah. like seeing Saros you know, come in for Rene when he had those just terrible starts where he got pulled due, due to either bad goaltending or the team not playing well in front of him and they he gets pulled to send a message to the team. And uh, to correct myself earlier, Saros had two wins and then a overtime loss, but still got a point out of it but I love seeing the response of Rene when he came back because I felt like one he had gotten some rest he'd gotten some good practice in got his confidence back and you know he was he was happy he felt good
1: and let's be honest Saros was terrible at the beginning of the year where the team wasn't doing enough to get his wins but then all of a sudden here in the last 5 to 6 games in particular they started giving Soros the nod and he was averaging, like, under... It was two and under, by the way, uh, goals against in his last, like, five or six games until the Florida game. And ironically enough, he still lost one of those I think It was one against the Coyotes where we couldn't score a goal, which we can never win against the Look, Coyotes. Yeah, yeah but, we suck against Coyotes I'm always. I'm just saying, it, it, it's, it's interesting how streaky the team has been this year because, like, you're, you're seeing these flashes of, like, wow, like, he's really good. And then... You know, it,
0: you still can't get that consistency that we're looking for. Is it safe to say though this team is mediocre? That they're just an average team? No.
1: You look at you look at the lineup, and you can tell that this is not a mediocre team. Look at the Lightning. The, it's,
2: they're the, just underperforming. Yes,
1: yes. The the Lightning are twenty fourth in the league. Would you look at the Lightning's lineup and tell me that that uh, they're mediocre? No.
0: It's a valid question though. I mean, because yeah, because they both teams, Lightning and the Prince, look good on paper. But, you know, paper's one thing, results are another.
1: Yeah, and that's why I think that goes back to my point earlier, where you have several teams like the Lightning, the the Habs, the Preds, the the Flames even. Despite the firing, once again, Western Conference final last year. They were in the Western Conference final. Uh, the Knights, who would have thought that with Stone, the Stone acquisition? You got Flurry in goal. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense to me, why they're struggling. So... I feel like there are several good teams that just haven't got it quite dialed in yet. Once they do, though, watch out. It's going to get heated real quick. I mean, if you're looking at the standings, too, even just in the Central Division, uh, the, the Preds are basically... What? Here. They're five points from third place with a game on hand against Winnipeg. So... Little little win streak here, and you're right back in it. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just one of those things that I think the good teams you got to give them through December. Now if they start, if they keep struggling through December, oh watch out. That you think you think the two firings were enough? The Preds could could have an opening. The Lightning could have an like if you start seeing the teams that should be winning by the end of December, come Christmas, and they're still at 24th, 25th in the league and lower, get ready.
2: Well, another one of those teams that are kind of so-so average is uh, division rival Chicago Blackhawks. And I don't know if you guys saw this interesting quote from uh, their goalie Robin Lehner the other day where he was uh, talking about shootouts. Uh, he, I'll kind of paraphrase this quote, but he basically goes on to say in a post-game interview that he was uh, 96 to 98 save percentage over three, four, five, six games, and then they lose two games in a shootout, and all of a sudden I was the worst person in the world because of the shootout. But a bad goalie can win in a shootout, and he's the hero of the world. That's because it's a fan game. It's frustrating because I'm just not good at it. People think it's mental. It's not mental. Do you think I care? Uh, The shootout goes against every weakness that I have and takes away from every strength that I have. So that's pretty interesting. As a goalie, he went on to uh, basically proposition, extending the three-on-three overtime for 10 minutes and kind of trying to do away with the shootout.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about that because I am not a fan of the shootout either. I think it really is just a overblown skills competition to win a hockey game that they basically want to get done with. I would prefer to have it that it goes to the playoff rules where it's 5v5 overtime or even 3v3 overtime and you play until somebody wins.
2: Yeah, I've got uh, another quote from him uh, before we talk about it a little bit more. Uh, he's, he went on to elaborate and says, no, I don't think they should eliminate it. I think 10-minute three-on-three would be nice because three-on-three three is a lot more entertaining than a shootout. The fans in a three-on-three three go nuts, and there's always good chances, and we're playing hockey. We're letting hockey determine the fate of it. It's a lot of breakaways in a three-on-three, three, so you've still got a shootout element to it, but uh, who am I to judge? Let's just let the big boys decide on that one. So I'm, I'm kind of like you, though, Kyle. I, I really like the three-on-three uh, fans have loved it. I love the idea of extending it because I'm, I'm kind of with Leonard on this one. I don't like letting it boil down to a skills competition uh, when it's all said and done. Leonard's lost 22 of
0: 30 shootouts. <laughs> I, it's just not his bread and butter, really. I saw something somebody said was, well, if you are bad at a shootout and it comes down to a shootout, could you make it so that the goalie no. could elect to have his counterpart come in, who no. might be no, good at shootouts? That's stupid because
1: no. you, you played the game that was your roster. So, yeah, I would totally be against that. I'd much rather have a ten-minute three-on-three or just a three-on-three three till someone scores. Honestly, five-on-five uh, five till someone scores, you're It'll gonna get into long. like you're gonna get into the double triple overtime games in the regular season, which it, we don't want that. I mean, as a fan, like triple overtime against the Sharks. Best game ever, yes, fantastic, but it was in the playoffs. Like, I'm not going to be able to sit there every single game and go through that long uh, of an OT. So, yes, for me, I would prefer three-on-three if they did go away from the shootout. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, Maybe start with the 10 minutes and see where that goes because, I mean, honestly, usually by five minutes, most games have been settled on on three-on-three. If you go 10 minutes, three-on-three, and they haven't scored a goal, either team then you just need to go to a shootout. I mean, like, they're probably pretty gassed at this point because you've been been working
2: pretty hard. A lot of space, lots of movement, tons of speed. It's more exciting. And, you know, when they kind of, when they trialed it, when they brought in 3v3, it was to shorten the game up a bit, and it turned out to be quite a big success. And I think fans would, we like it so much, we want to see more of it. And I even saw a couple people asking the question, uh, should we bring back ties in the game? Back in the day, uh, there was ties. There was no winners. No. We
1: don't hold hands in the sunset, (laughs)
2: That's right. Uh, Nobody (laughs) wants to see that from a fan perspective. Like, who wants to watch two hours of a game and then nobody win? But their counter argument was that every point is crucial, and people hate how the point gets thrown around there at the end of the game based in in the OT. So that was their counterpoint that if it's so crucial, then why are we just throwing it away like that? My
1: counterpoint is you're getting a point because you went to overtime. You're already splitting the points. So you get, the, the the loser still gets a point. It's not like they get zero. If, if they got zero, then I could totally see their argument. But you're still getting a point for making it to overtime. Well, if the points are
0: that important, get rid of the two-point win, make it a three-point win. That way you're really working for that.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, usually these kind of crazy ideas, I think it was last week or two we were talking about uh, – Jonathan Taylor, his idea of new travel schedule, and we we occasionally come across these new whirlwind theories, but uh, sometimes blow by him, but this one, not so much. At the time when he made these comments, he was actually number one in the league in save percentage, uh, Robin Leonard, so it's not something to be taken really lightly. It's really quite a discussion to have, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the GM meeting happens, and uh, they talk about this in the offseason as well.
1: Yeah, like I said, I I would be totally fine with a 10-minute three-on-three, but once again, that's up to the the big dogs. As uh, yeah, the big <laughs> and, dogs. Yeah, so uh, we'll see where that lies in the off season.
2: And uh, speaking of breakaways, I wrote this down in my notes as the play of the week. I don't know if you guys saw this clip. Uh, T.J. Oshie is on a breakaway against the Canucks, and Quinn Hughes and J.T. Miller are uh, trailing, trying to catch up with T.J. Oshie. So a very clever play is that (laughs) Quinn Hughes takes his stick and jabs J.T. Miller in the back to push him with his stick to give him a boost, and that little boost to speed was just enough to catch up with T.J. Oshie and, and stop the breakaway opportunity. And I thought that was quite a clever play. I haven't seen that one. I don't know if I've ever seen that. That was really good. I'm sure there were some questions of the legality of that. Yeah, I was I was seeing that play and I was like, "Wow, that was a really creative move." I, I I've seen people attempt it, but it usually
1: doesn't work because the player in front has to be aware that you're going to do it because if not, it literally like puts them off balance and they fall and then well, then it's a true uh, one-on-goalie situation. But yeah, that's the first time I've actually seen one successfully done. Like, and it was great to watch. I mean, it was just—it looked so much fun. Like he just pushed him and gave him a little energy boost. It was like hitting the nos in a in a video game.
0: <laughs> it makes you wonder if they've practiced that.
1: I, I mean, maybe. I mean, if you if you're I don't know I, I mean that that was just so spontaneous. I don't know if you, you do practice that, but this is one of those good old hockey. Players. it worked, okay, and it w- it was really fun to watch so
0: So Matt, as we get ready to close the episode up, do you have any sort of news we may have missed earlier?
2: A couple things I'll mention here is that, uh, sneakily the New York Islanders have set a franchise record 17 game point streak. They went 15 one and one since October 12th. Uh, and they're smoking hot 17 games. I think it was a 16 game win streak is freaking incredible, man. They're on fire. And, uh, Another personal favorite of mine over the week is that the Columbus Blue Jackets social media feed drops some shade on the Pittsburgh Penguins oh when uh, they suggest that this is how the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, play Tetris, and it shows a little gif, and all you see is a Tetris piece is falling down, and all they're dropping is L's, nothing but L's, and uh, that, was, that was great.
0: I do like the uh, Columbus social media. They are, to me, the epitome of what every NHL team's social media should aspire to be.
2: Yeah, it certainly is interesting lately. I think it kind of started with Vegas for me, being really creative on Twitter. And it's fun to to interact with fans, and it's bringing kind of a a new dimension to the game. It's not just on the ice product. It's a little bit of uh, jousting and uh, jeering at one another in the social medias. And uh, it's a fun product they're putting out on the ice, so that's really cool. And as far as stats are concerned, I'll have to say that my boy Darcy Kempfer from Arizona is leading the league in save percentage and goals against. So uh, don't sleep on the Coyotes this year. And Boston's uh, David Posternak is on an incredible pace, uh, leads the league in goals. He has 25 goals in 27 games. And so the theory is, is he on pace for 50, 50 goals 50. in yeah. 50 games? And if he can, that will be uh, rec- like record setting. I think only one or two players have done that in history. I know Gretzky did it.
1: Yeah. Well, actually they said he's become the fourth player ever. And this is to record 12 plus goals in back-to-back months to open a season. That's Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux and Mike Bossy. That's, that's, that's right. That's insane.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's, he's on a freaking terror, man. And, uh, also, your boy Kyle, Henrik Lundqvist, passes Cujo for fifth all-time in and wins. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Pecorino's shutout against Carolina, we mentioned, gives him 58 uh, all-time, uh, 58 in his career. And since he entered the league in '05, only Henrik Lundqvist has more shutouts than uh, Pecorino does. That's a pretty good company to be with. That is. But uh, my favorite I'll end on is that Florida's Keith Yandel is playing in a game and he loses nine teeth from taking a oh puck my to gosh, the face. This is so He's good. bleeding all over the bench, goes straight to the locker room, loses nine teeth. Uh, comes back in the third period, by the way, gets a little patch job, comes back in the third period to play. Then the next morning, they have a game the next day. So the next morning, he gets up, and gets some dental work done, and then goes to play in the game. The next night, it's like a late afternoon game, five or six o'clock, gets dental work done comes back and plays the next game to continue his Iron Man streak. He is the active Iron Man streak at eight hundred and twenty one games straight, baby. That's a man. What a hockey guy that is. Wow. That's (laughs) That's gonna be a
0: killer dental
1: program too.
2: Yeah, they Uh, gotta have good dental insurance, I'm sure.
1: Dude, yeah, I I mean I can't imagine that they said he like actual reconstruction of some stuff too. So it, it wasn't like going in and Getting a checkup or a cleanup. Yeah, you no. know, like we're talking some serious stuff that they were having to do uh, to his
0: teeth, and then he's back on the ice that night. Well, it's absolutely
1: like, incredible. It's
0: like Logan Couture when he had that hit in Nashville, he dropped everything, went right off the ice. They had to wire his jaw shut and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Chara did that. Yeah. A while ago, he he has jaw broken and he is wired shut, and he's sitting out. He can't even talk in the finals. Wasn't it in the finals? Yeah, because yeah, it was. He, yeah, they were trying to give a uh, an interview pregame, and I'm like, well, you're not going to get anywhere with this guy because I mean, I, I, it's it's mind-boggling how
0: manly the the hockey players are in the league. I mean, th- there's just no way. Well, it's funny, you know, you're talking about how hockey is compared to like football or basketball, we are like, oh, I injured a pinky, I injured a pinky toe. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, go look at hockey. Yeah, let me carry you off the field with a sprained ankle. Okay.
1: (laughs) I got turf toe. (laughs) That's my personal favorite. Well, Daniel, what games we got coming up? All right, so after our loss against Florida, we are going to try to rebound with three straight home games against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, The return of P.K. Subban and the New Jersey Devils on right. Saturday. So a game that I'm sure everyone will have marked on their calendars. Then we follow that up with the San Jose Sharks at home again. Uh, then we have two more against Buffalo on the road and Dallas at home. And by then, we should be recording, and it will be on a Monday night, and it looks like uh, it'll probably be against the New York Rangers in New York.
0: I think it's also starting back-to-back, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the, new, the Islanders will be on that Tuesday as well. So we'll see. We, we have a couple of back-to-backs in the schedule, obviously. We just got through the Carolina-Florida one, split those. So uh, we'll, we'll see about the, the New York swing here in
0: about two weeks. Well, maybe Barry Trotz will be nice to us and let us get that W. I don't know.
1: As Matt said, they're on a tear right now. So right. only hotter teams would be the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals.
0: And don't forget the Flyers. They're up on that list too right now being pretty hot. I think they're like six in the league.
1: Yeah, they're currently six, 27 games played at 35 points. But man, Boston, 27 games, 43
0: points. They're killing it right now. Well, maybe in two weeks when we talk again, we will have much happier news and the Preds will be actually in a playoff position. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. This has been Music City Gold. We're on the Penalty Box Radio Network. You can find us on our own iTunes at Music City Gold or on the Penalty Box Radio feed under Penalty Box Radio and iTunes there. Until next time, we'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock. Daniel at C. Drum and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the ice.